Well, Happy New Year, Strong Tower. God is so wonderful, so good to bring us into 2024. There were no promises. The only promise we have is eternal life. But the Bible says don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what a day may bring forth. There were people who made plans to come into the new year. But God's sovereign choice, they did not make it into the new year. But because we're here, that means God's not finished with us yet. And with the living, there is hope. So happy, happy, happy new year. And speaking of happy, is uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kwan and Gina Gladney here? I see Gina. Where's Kwan? Where, where's Kwan? He's serving somewhere. Uh, they're happy because they got married last Saturday. There he is. Congratulations, y'all. Congratulations. It was a wonderful, wonderful wedding. And um, I also want to thank all of you who came out on Sunday night for our watch night service. It was a phenomenal time. And I also want to congratulate our new associate pastors who were installed on that night, uh, Felicia, Darina, and Jewel. Um, God's doing some great things. And because of that, we need to be in prayer because just as much as God is moving, the enemy is also moving and working to try to undo the things that God is doing. But if God is for us, who can be against us? He can come against us, but it won't succeed. Somewhere in the book of Isaiah, it says the weapon may form, but it will not prosper. And so because of that, we need to pray. So on the 17th, which is on a Wednesday night, um, before we get into Bible study the following Wednesday, we're going to have a prayer meeting right here in the fellowship hall. I'll share more with you next Sunday about it, uh, but we're going to fast a meal or two on that day, however you're able to do medically, and we'll come in that night and we'll pray, but we'll also share about um, the new structure of the church and where we're going. We'll update you. Um, great things are happening. God is at work. God is on the move. So on the 17th, I'll, I'll share more with you about that next week. And speaking of prayer, we want to be in prayer for our dear brother, uh, Pastor Jerry. His sister went home to be with Jesus last Saturday night. Um, and so he and the family are going to be leaving to go to Canada in order to preside over her homegoing service. So keep Pastor Jerry. Uh, his sister Blossom went home to be with Jesus. So, um, and in this season, we're also asking God to encourage our brother, give him strength, uh, give him rest, give him peace in this season. So say a prayer for our brother. Also, um, I got a prayer request this morning. We've got folks in our body um, who've been experiencing some medical difficulties. Sister Sandra Davenport, we wanna keep in prayer. And Tyrus's uncle and grandmother could use our prayer. So some of us here have the gift of intercession. Some of us here have that spiritual gift. We're all supposed to pray, but some of us truly, truly, truly have a spiritual gift from God to intercede for the body. So remember those that we mentioned, Sandra Davenport, Tyrus's uncle and grandmother, and of course, Pastor Jerry and his family. And as we continue on, just a couple of more announcements. Um, yes, there is a banquet coming 
in February. So make sure you get your tickets, babe. Make sure we get our tickets because we don't want to be left out. Um, and as Felicia said, all that practicing y'all been doing in the fellowship hall, we expect to see you on the dance floor at the Valentine's banquet. Now, um, is it, it's for married people, marriage-minded people. Any and everybody can come. All right, so we got 90 tickets. All right, and it's going to be held at the Country Club of West Haven, right? Is that right? Is that correct? Okay, all right. Arbor's giving me thumbs up. So, yeah, we're going to have a great time, great time. Thank you, Marriage Ministry, for setting that up. Um, and then our Apollos Training Institute classes start, uh, what Sunday is that, Aubrey? The 21st. So we'll have classes again. We'll talk to you more about that next week. Um, you know, just as we see gyms filled up in January because people want to get in shape, then they fall off before February. That's not our testimony, right? <laughs> if we're going to the gym, we're going to go to the gym. We're going to commit. And, um, and Paul talks about bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So as we're prioritizing taking care of the physical, let's prioritize taking care of the spiritual and making sure not only we come to church, but we get involved in community, that we get to know people. And Wednesday nights is a great way to do that. Sunday mornings before church is a great way to do that. And, um, and for those who do not have a church home, at the end of this service today, I'm going to extend an invitation for membership. And so if you know this is supposed to be your church, let's start 2024 off the right way and becoming an official part of a community. Not just out here coming and going, floating, weaving and bobbing. But no, I'm going to put my feet down in a local church for such a time as this. Um, we have a pre-membership uh, brunch. Uh, no, no, it's a lunch on the 28th of this month. So what we do is if you're interested in membership, you fill one of these cards out. We contact you and then we invite you to the luncheon that will be in the fellowship hall um, after church on the 28th. And you'll get to hear from myself and the various leaders of the church so you can understand our mission, our vision, our philosophy, but also find ways that you can connect and plug in and use your spiritual gift because God gave you a gift to edify others and others are edified by your gift. So we'll talk about that. Um, so all that's coming up. Great, great stuff. All right. And also for people who may not know Jesus as your savior, um, we'll give you an invitation as well so that you can meet Jesus if you've never met him. Because when you meet the Lord, you cannot remain the same. And so this series we're starting the year off for the first two months is giving God more. We ended the year saying giving God more in 2024. So now that we're in 2024, we're going to keep that uh, mantra on our mind. God, we're giving you more. You deserve our best. And so today, the message is entitled, More of Me. And uh, next week, we're going to hear more faith. And we're going to talk about more love and more giving, more community. So giving God more in 2024. As you turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 3, I want to also welcome first-time guests. Thank you for starting the year with us. We pray if you live in town, you can come back again. Um, this is God's strong tower. 
And we run in here and find safety and strength. We don't want to have a church where you run in and you get judged. No, we want to find a church where, as Elder Sherman said, you run in and you get loved. And you get encouraged with truth. You get encouraged by grace and with grace. That we are a broken people who depend on the mender of hearts to put us together personally and corporately. So church is not perfect, but the head of the church is. And we trust him and we love him. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to open up your word. God, we open up our hearts to you as the word is open, as the word is read. Help me to teach and preach your word more than my opinion, more than current events. Um, Help me to teach the truth. And yet, Lord, um, as your spirit leads, help me to be able to um, seek to bring application and connection to what you've said to where we are. So do it, Holy Spirit. Let us not just hear the word. It begins with that. But then give us the desire and the capacity to do the word. Holy Spirit, have your way. Move through this church. Move in our lives. We love you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1984, 1984, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I thought I found him, but technically he found me so that I could find him um, right before my 15th birthday. And I gave my life to Jesus. And that was 40 years ago, 40 years ago. And many of us are fortunate to have a similar testimony where we can say, I've been knowing Jesus for a long time. Some of us were raised in Christian homes. We were raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so the gospel was commonplace in our homes. And so we saw mama and daddy following Jesus. And so we chose to follow Jesus at a young age. But don't get it twisted. We didn't choose Christ even as a babe or as a young person. God chose us and gave us the capacity and the desire and the ability to choose him. Because when we get saved, it's not by any boasting that we'll do. Like we were smart enough to figure him out. No, 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 no. No one understands, Paul said in Romans 3. No one seeks after God, but God understands us, and he sought after us and drew us in by his amazing grace and his unconditional love. And once you meet Jesus, you know that you met him. You know, um, I've never met Michael Jordan personally, but but if I did meet him, And it happened a long time ago. And somebody said, hey, did you ever meet Michael? I'll say, yeah, I met Michael because it was a significant moment in my life. And when you meet Jesus, and that illustration does not come up to par with Jesus Christ. When you meet Jesus Christ, you know that you met him because there's none like him. He changes your life. But in the Bible, the Bible, the New Testament is written in Greek. And in Greek, there are different tenses in the Greek. There's a tense called the aorist tense, and that is the past tense. This means that something happened in the past. It is pointed action in the past, aorist tense. But then there's the perfect tense in the Greek language, and that means it's something that happened in the past, 
but it has ramifications in the present. So something happened and it's still happening to you. See, a lot of us have testimonies where we say, I met Jesus in the past, but it seemed like it stayed there. Are y'all sticking with me right now? You got an aorist tense kind of salvation. You can say, I met him when I was five years old, but there's nothing in your life that shows that you met him when you were five years old. But the perfect tense says, yeah, I met him when I was five, and he keeps on changing my life into the present. I'd rather be a perfect tense Christian than an aorist tense Christian. Is anybody here with me? Because when you meet him, you cannot stay the same. Because giving yourself to Jesus is not just something that happened a long time ago. Giving yourself to Jesus is something that ought to happen every day throughout the day. Not salvifically, because once saved, always saved. Yeah, I said it, because Jesus gives us eternal life, not based on our works. And if you can lose it, it wasn't eternal, and it's definitely based on our works and not on his finished work. And so, and so, and so, and so I've got to say, I came to you when I was uh, in 1984, right before I turned 15, but I come to you every day because I need you. I'm not going to get started with you and then say, I got this on my, I can do it on my own. Now, no, I need you every day throughout the day. I need you, Jesus, and I'm so glad I have you. Christians often wrongly say, I need more God. I just need more God. Christians, that's an errant statement because the truth is we have all of God we need. At this time, we have all of God we're going to get. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His power has given us everything we need to live a righteous life for Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, Paul said that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We don't need more of God, but we need to give more of ourselves to God because less of us means more of God. Let me say it, I went too fast. We don't need more of God, but God wants more of us. And we give him, we surrender as we sang today. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. So if you want to find life, lose life. Um, if you want more, it's got to be less about you. John the Baptist said, uh, matter of fact, he must increase and I must decrease. More of God, less of me. More of God, less of me. I must surrender. And in the gospel of John, we see how a man named Nicodemus found himself because he lost himself for Christ's sake. He found his life because he lost his life for Christ's sake. It was not about Nicodemus. It became about the Christ who changed the life of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is mentioned three times in the Bible. All three of those occurrences are found in the Gospel of John. And each of these occurrences about Nicodemus reveal to us what it means to keep giving more and more of ourselves to Jesus. 
So we're going to take a quick pilgrimage through the Gospel of John to look at this man named Nicodemus because his life is in the perfect tense. Something is going to happen to him in chapter 3 that's going to have bearings on him in chapter 7 that's obviously going to come out into the light in chapter 19. He starts with a conversation with Jesus in the night in chapter 3. He stands up amongst the religious syndicate in chapter 7. And then like Diana Ross, he said, I'm coming out in chapter 19. So there's this progression in his life of giving God more and more and more and more. And that's how we ought to be, giving Jesus more and more and more. So today, more of me. So before we go into the year talking about this, that, and the other, Lord, here I am. Lord, more of me. I surrender all to you. Because once you get me, once I give you me, you get everything attached to me. And so, God, here I am. And that's just not for the first Sunday of the year, but it ought to be throughout the day, every day. Here I am, Lord, I surrender. It's not about me. It's about you. You can do more with my life than I ever could do with my own life. Here I am, Lord. And so the first thing we're going to see from chapter 3 of John is Nicodemus went to Jesus. So if you haven't gone to Jesus, this is your day of salvation. Go to him. Talk to him. Let's go to John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so there's more of the conversation that carries on in this chapter that leads ultimately to that famous verse that most of us know by memory, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. He's speaking these words to Nicodemus. He is planting the seed of the gospel in the heart of Nicodemus. And although we do not see a place in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus quote unquote prayed a prayer of salvation, Something happened to him to prove that he had met the Lord and his life had changed. And the evidence is found in chapter 7. The evidence is found in chapter 19. But first, chapter 3, he has a talk with Jesus. He goes to Jesus. A few observations about this man. Number one, his name, Nicodemus. We obviously know that he's Jewish, but he has a Greek name, Nicodemus. And there were Greeks who, or rather Jews rather, who would have Greek names in addition to having a Hebrew name. And some of it, as we'll see in a moment, had to do with the fact that he would have to navigate circles, not just with Jewish people, but with Gentiles as well. And so he has this name, Nicodemus. And when you break it down in the Greek, Nico is where we get the word Nike 
from. So if you're wearing Nikes, uh, then that means you've got victory. That, that, that's what Nike means, victory. Demos means people or person. Nicodemus. So when you put them together, it means victorious person or victory over people. Either way, when mama and daddy was giving him this name, they were speaking destiny into his life that he would be a victorious person. Now, He's a successful man up to this point, according to worldly standards. I'm about to share a few more things with you about him. But really, there is no success without a savior, and his name is Jesus. Because all success is not good success, but he is victorious. And he's going to become more than victorious because of this conversation that he has with Jesus. But his name, victorious person. Then we see his sect. He is a Pharisee. They were a, an elite group of religious people who basically set the tempo and the tone for what worshiping God was like amongst the people of God. They were the ones who not only interpreted the law, they told you what the law meant, but they also thought they were living the law in front of the people. But Jesus called them out and said, y'all are hypocrites because you're not doing the things you tell other people to do, which is what a hypocrite is. And so, but he was part of this group called the Pharisees. And when you read the Bible, the Gospels, the Pharisees are not put in a good light. And so he's part of a group of religious, raw people, um, and, and, and he's a religious separatist. That's what the Pharisees were. They were holier than everybody else. They were devoted to the law, and they had problems with people who broke the law in their eyes, which is why they had so much problems and issues with Jesus. Because Jesus would intentionally heal people on the Sabbath day in order for the Pharisees to have their hearts confronted and convicted about legalism and man-made laws and, and wrong interpretations of the Bible to show the Pharisees that God cares more about people than the rules you make that keep you from loving on people. Mm -mm -mm. He was a Pharisee. He was part of that group. Not only that, he was a ruler of the Jews, Pharisee and a ruler. What does that mean? This speaks to the fact that he was a part of the Sanhedrin. So you had the Pharisees and you had the scribes, but you also had the Sanhedrin. Who were they? It was a, an elite group, a select group of 70 men. Many of them were Pharisees. You had to be a Pharisee to go into that group, but that was the next step. That was the upper echelon of spirituality. He was a part of that 70 group of men. And in this group, they would not only deal with uh, spiritual matters and matters of the law of God, they were like the, the final authority, but they also had civil reach and stretch to deal with the Romans and government officials, the Sanhedrin. And so that may be another reason why he had that name Nicodemus in order to go through those halls to deal with Gentiles. And so he's a person who is not only a Pharisee, but he's in the elite group, the Sanhedrin, and he deals with spiritual things and civil things. He's a man of power. But not only that, he's also a man with a huge reputation. Because in verse 10, Jesus says to him, you are the teacher of Israel. And you don't know this stuff I'm talking to you about, about being born again and being born of water and the spirit. And you can't figure it out. I thought you were the teacher of Israel. And the in the Greek language is emphasized, which means you are the teacher 
of Israel. So this is the creme de la creme, this guy right here. He's the cherry on top. Not only is he a Pharisee, not only is he in the Sanhedrin, but he is the golden throat rabbi of them all. He's the teacher. He's got knowledge, but I thank God he was thirsty for more. And he says, I got to go have a conversation. I got to go have a talk with this rabbi who's turning this whole place upside down. And I'm going to go have a talk with him at night because if I talk with him during the day certain people are going to see me talking to him and they're going to incriminate me and come against me the way they're coming against him so let me go talk to him at night some commentators say he talked to Jesus at night because they both had long days and they wanted to talk in the cool of the night on top of a roof whatever whatever no 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 when you read the gospel of John you see this term called the Jews the Jews and that's not speaking in some kind of anti-Semitic way, but it's talking about that there would be a group of Hebrew people, mainly the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Jews. They would threaten people. When John writes the Jews, it's usually not mentioned in a positive tone. So when you read the gospel, you'll see the Jews showing up to come against Jesus, the Jews. And so this man, no doubt, was afraid of the Jews. And when you read again the Gospels, you'll see people Jesus done healed, but they're afraid of what the Jews are going to say because Jesus healed them. When, when Jesus healed one man, I believe it was uh, the man born blind, uh, uh, they said, we don't believe he healed you. Go get his parents. And the parents were brought in to testify to say, yeah, he was born that way. But the parents, for fear of the Jews, said, we're not going to stand up with our healed son and say that it was Jesus because we don't want to get put out of the clique. We don't want y'all to come against us. So I believe he came to Jesus at night because there was some fear of the Jews. Mm. So he went to Jesus at night. He also went to Jesus alone. So when he goes to him alone, he says, we, how do you say this? We know that you are a teacher come from God. In other words, within the group, some of us are talking about you. We know, we know, but I'm just the one that has enough courage to actually come to you. We know God had to send you because you can't do the stuff you're doing unless God is with you. He came wanting to talk about signs. Jesus said, no, let's talk about your soul. We're not going to talk about signs. You've got to be born again with all of your religious pedigree and knowledge and all your wealth because to be in the Sanhedrin, you had to be wealthy. I forgot that. I forgot that. You had to have some loot. You had to have some cash because it was, you know, a social thing, a, 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 a class thing. So he's paid. He's smart. He's elite. But the brother needs to be born again. And then he went to Jesus with his questions. He's asking Jesus questions. Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? He's like, how can these things be? What I love about this teacher, because if you're going to be a teacher, you still have to be a learner. Wow. Woe on the teachers who think they know everything. And there are teachers who are like that. That would be the Pharisees. But this particular Pharisee goes to this rabbi with questions. If you don't know God, go to Jesus with your questions. Stop looking around out here to anybody and everybody else. Go to God, open up a Bible, and start reading and ask God to speak to your heart because a lot of unbelievers will not come to God with their questions 
And I think sometimes they know what God's going to say with the questions that they ask. But even for those of us who know God, may we never get to a point where we stop asking God questions and waiting for God to give us an answer from his word and not what we think or how we feel. So this man went to Jesus. But secondly, turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. He not only went to Jesus at night alone, had a conversation, asked questions, but he spoke up about Jesus. So this is sometime later in chapter 7 from what we see in chapter 3, verse 45. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? Because earlier they sent out um, the officers to arrest Jesus. In verse 46, the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Pause. Go arrest him. We tried. Nobody talks like him. Technically, he arrested us with his words. You know you're a bad preacher when you're arresting people with what you say and you back it up by how you live. Have you been arrested by the words of Jesus? Where you're all over the place, you're running amok, you're struggling, but you read the word of God. You hear the word of God taught or preached, proclaimed, and all of a sudden you get arrested by love. You get arrested by peace. You get arrested by joy. You get arrested by tranquility and calmness. You get arrested by justice. You get arrested by Jesus because you can't arrest him. He arrests you. And when he does get arrested, it's because it's the will of God and it's time for him to die because before that, they couldn't put a hand on him. They would try to get him, but he would walk right through. But they could not arrest him. Then it goes on to say in verse 47, then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Watch these guys here. The officers come back empty handed. The Pharisees are like, are you deceived? Because if you believe in him, that means you are deceived. But isn't it something that the people who like to say other folks are deceived are the main ones who are deceived. The worst deception is self-deception. They're saying, y'all are deceived. No, nah, brothers, y'all are deceived. And then they're going to speak condescendingly here. And then they say, have any of the rulers, that's the Sanhedrin, or the Pharisees believed in him? Y'all, this is pressure right here. Because if you believed in him, you're about to get the boot from us. So they're putting this pressure. Don't you dare speak up. Because that means you are deceived. And then he goes on to say, they're going to say, this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. Y'all don't know the Bible. So now they're putting people down, saying, y'all don't know the word of God. Y'all are cursed, as a matter of fact. So to stand up in the midst of that kind of Berating requires a level of courage. So I got to go on and read verse 50. Nicodemus. Y'all see that? Look at the environment. Look at the atmosphere. It is hostile against Jesus. And anybody who wants to identify with Jesus. Verse 50. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, 
being one of them. In my Bible, that's a parenthetical comment. Nicodemus, parentheses, who came to Jesus by night. That's that brother's testimony. Because when I go to chapter 19 and conclude this message in a moment, you're going to see that again. He came to Jesus at night. That's his testimony. What's your testimony? Man, Chris, who used to do this. So Chris, who came to camp, who went to camp looking for girls, but found Jesus. Testimony. Oh, God. The one who came at night, but he left in the light. Uh, uh, Nicodemus speaks up, and he says in verse 51, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? He speaks up about Jesus in the midst of a hostile environment. Now, it's one thing to be in a hostile environment. Y'all listen to this with unbelievers who dare you to speak up about Jesus. But it's something totally different when you're around religious people. And you can catch a bigger beat down around religious people, self-righteous people, than even around the world. Because religious people will kill you. Religious people, quote-unquote, kill Jesus. Religious people were ready to stone the woman in chapter 8 because she was caught in adultery by herself. Religious people ready to kill. So when you speak up around religious people who know a little bit of Bible, watch yourself now. But he says, doesn't our law say we don't condemn someone without hearing them? He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. So don't show partiality. So this man is standing up as the lone voice, and he's standing up on the word of God, and he also is speaking up in the face of being maligned. He's standing on the word. He's speaking up for Christ in the midst of this environment. And then verse 52 says, they answered him and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Y'all, I wish I had time to go a little deeper in this. But what they're saying is, are you from Galilee? Because nobody wanted to be from Galilee amongst the religious group. They wanted to be from the south, from Judea, where Jerusalem and Bethlehem, you know, where the temple were, was and all that stuff. So, so that's the holy area. Up north in Galilee, uh, that, that, that's an area that is not only full of Jewish people, but also Gentile people. So they are convoluting with worldly people. Uh, the Galileans are not as spiritual as the people down south. Matter of fact, when they found Jesus in chapter 1 of John, uh, they said he's Jesus of Nazareth, which is a town in uh, Galilee. Uh, and I believe it was uh, Nathaniel who said, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So that was kind of the thing, the north and, and the Galilean uh, dialect that you spoke. You weren't pure in your language. So, so they're saying, are you also from Galilee? Because we believe this preacher is from Galilee, that part where it ain't really spiritual. But here's the thing about religious cliques. They're going to make judgments about people without having the courage to go to people, to talk to people, and ask questions of the people. If you would have just sat and asked Jesus, where are you from? He would have told you, I was raised in Nazareth, but I was born down south in Bethlehem. 
but you're going to keep on with your assumptions because your assumptions fit your agenda. So religious people don't ask questions. They make assumptions. And I tell you what, man, 28 years as a pastor over the years, not y'all, but other people in the past would make assumptions on me and the leadership without ever asking us one question about what's going on. Because the assumptions fit your narrative so that you can look down on us and not respect us and reject us. And you don't have the courage to come and talk to us one-on-one. And even when some of y'all do, you leave not satisfied because it doesn't fit your agenda. But like Nicodemus, I'm going to speak up. Whether you listen or not, because this group did not listen to him. We surely know they didn't listen to Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Finally, let's go over to John chapter 19. This brother went to Jesus and he stood up for Jesus. Are you standing up for Christ? Are you speaking up in such a way where you're standing on the word, even against people who think they know the word? And when Nicodemus gives them Deuteronomy, it it doesn't faze them because they're rushing to a kangaroo court in order to kill Jesus. Their law means nothing at this time. Again, their agenda is everything. They're jealous of Jesus. They don't like how he's put uh, the truth in their face, called them out. They got to get rid of him. But Nicodemus is like, I went to him in chapter 3, had to talk. I spoke up for him in chapter 7. And now I'm going to stand up for him in chapter 19. Look at verse 38. After this, um, this is after Jesus has been arrested tried, scourged, crucified, and he dies on the cross. And as Felicia Knox read earlier from Psalm 34, not one of the bones of Christ were broken, which goes to a prophecy there in chapter 34, because they came to the two thieves who died next to him and broke their legs so that they could hasten their death, so they couldn't raise up on the cross and breathe. But when they got to Jesus, they found that he was dead already, so they did not use the hammer to break his bones. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy while he's dead. But then they pierce his side, and out of his side comes blood and water. Then the Bible lets us know what happens. After this, Joseph Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of who? The Jews. Stop right there. See, it's real. It's real. The pressure you feel is real. We're not going to try to act super spiritual like the pressure isn't real to speak up and stand up and identify with Jesus. But... At some point, enough is enough. Because you're going to start saying, what did this group that I was with do for me lately? Compared to what Jesus has done for me, I don't care about you. Look, look, so so, so, so the Bible says he, he comes out of the secret. He goes to Pilate that he might ask away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission So he came and took the body of Jesus. Verse 39, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by what? His testimony. He also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new 
tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. So these men stood up for Jesus, which meant that they would lose some friends. Now they're coming out, and they're going to lose some friends. They're going to lose some Pharisee friends. But were they really their friends? Anybody who says, you can only be my friend when you conform to what I believe and what I say. No, you're not a friend. They want you to be a puppet. I don't know if I said that right. We have people who will be friends to us as long as we do what they want. But the minute we start thinking independently or differently than them, then all of a sudden now we're an enemy. And that's how it is with these Pharisees. They lost, quote unquote, friends because they stood up with Jesus. Not only that, and I love how, yeah, Nicodemus lost some friends, but he gained a friend in Joseph of Arimathea. Because you aren't going to be the only one standing up for Jesus. God has a witness. You ain't the only one. Elijah said, I'm the only one representing God. God, like I got 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You just haven't met them yet. And so you're not by yourself on that job. You're not by yourself in your home. Somebody else is pursuing Christ. But it might just take you stepping out in order for them to step out with you. They stood up even if they had to lose some money to do so. Pastor, what you talking about? Spices. That stuff was expensive back then to wrap a body with. Then also they're giving their tomb, which was an expensive tomb. Pastor, how do you know? Because Isaiah 53, 9 says, and they made his grave with the rich. So Jesus' body was taken off the tomb by two rich men put in a new tomb that no one had ever been laid in before, fulfilling again prophecy from the Old Testament about how and where he would be buried. So yeah, I lost some money because of these spices and giving up this tomb. I got to go get another tomb for me and my family, but it's an honor to give this to Jesus. And whatever you give to God, God will give back to you. Yeah, yeah, you lost some money, but you gain notoriety because 2,000 years later, we're still talking about what you did and what you gave for Jesus. Let's stand up for Jesus, even if we got to lose our social standing. Because a seat opened up that day on the Sanhedrin. They went from 70 to 69 that day. So he lost his social standing. There has to come a time in your life and my life. When we stand up for Jesus and we don't care what other people think about it. And even amongst quote unquote Christian people, when sometimes if you stand up for Jesus, you're going to be looked at as a holy roller. But even amongst Christians, a lukewarm community at times, we've got to be bold enough in Christ to say, I'm standing up with Jesus. I'm standing up for Jesus and I don't care what you think. May God give us that kind of boldness. But it took these men, at least Nicodemus, time to progress to this place. Started in chapter 3, went to chapter 7. Now he's in 19 and he don't care. So what if you identify me with him? We're taking him off the cross before the Passover uh, Sabbath. Let me tell y'all something. And now I'm unclean because I've touched a dead body, but y'all don't know. 
Y'all going to be killing lambs for the Passover, but I'm looking at the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, the lamb who was slain to take my sins away. I'm glad to touch his broken body, get his blood on me, because that's how I'm saved and made right with God. So finally, in conclusion, Nicodemus kept giving more and more of himself to Jesus, and it showed. If you and I give ourselves to Jesus more and more and more, it's going to show. But if we give less and less of ourselves to Jesus, that's going to show too. But I choose today, this moment, Jesus, here I am, take me more and more and it will show. To give more of ourselves to Jesus, we must go to him, we must speak up about him, and we must stand up for him. Nicodemus gave his life to Jesus and Jesus gave him back so much more. Whatever you give to Jesus, he's going to give it back to you better than how you gave it to him. A few years ago, there was a show called Pimp My Ride. (laughs) Pimp My Ride. That's exhibit up there rapper, but they would go around Los Angeles looking for the most beat up cars in order to transform them into something better than what the owner had. I mean, these cars were broken down, busted, and disgusted. And that's what made the show so great because they would take the car, take it to their shop, and do all of this work on it. They, they would fix the body. They would put a new engine in, put new tires on it, rims, and, and all this kind of stuff. And then the interior would have all kind of gadgets and new things, things that were very expensive. And the inside was really better than what was going on on the outside, but the ride had been pimped by Exhibit and the crew. The only thing the owner of the car had to do was agree to say, here, take my car. And then they would pimp the car and give it back to the owner, not only better, but different than what they gave. Can I help somebody today? Jesus is not here to pimp your ride. But he is here to change your life and to change my life. Oh, come on. I know it's 1202. I'm almost done. Because whatever we give him, He gives it back to us, and it's better on the inside than it is on the outside. Now, I don't look like what I've been through, and I've been through a few things, but man, he cleaned up my heart as we sang in the song. I've been washed in the blood of the lamb, so I gave him my sin. He gave me back his salvation. I gave him my mess. He gave it back as a message. I gave him my failures, and he gave me forgiveness. I gave him all of my tests, and he turned it back and gave it to me as a testimony. I gave him my pain. He gave me his peace. I gave him my stress. He gave me his strength. I give him my burdens. He gives me his blessings. I give him my grief. He gives me his grace. I give him my fears. He gives me his faithfulness, and I give him my jankiness, and he gives me his joy I gotta give him more I gotta give him more I gotta give him more because whatever I give to him he gives back to me better than whatever get starting with my own life so if you got an amen in your spirit would you stand to your feet
Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Who needs to have a talk with Jesus? Who needs to be born again? You don't have to walk in aisle, but it's about what your heart. Lord, I need Jesus. Everybody talking about he can change your life. I want to know for myself. Taste and see, the psalmist said, that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in him. Today is the day for you to taste Jesus. You say, God, here I am. I want to know your son, Jesus. And he will make you into a new person. But there may be someone here who says, Pastor, uh, yeah, I want to start the year right. I want to make it official. I want to become a part of Strong Tower Bible Church. Or at least I want to investigate. I want to test the spirits. I want to come to the class. I want to see what it's like. Because I want to be intentional, not only for myself, but if I have a family with my children, that we go to church together. We just aren't going to the grocery store on Sundays, hanging out at the golf club. We could do that after church. But there's an intentionality we've got to have, just like going to the gym to get my outer in shape. Man, let me go to the house of God with the people of God to get my spirit in shape. I'm going to leave these on the platform here. Please fill them out and leave them here. And we'll get in touch with you for this time on the 28th. I'll also extend next week and the week after that um, because it's a serious commitment. Pray about it. But some of you already know. And so this is your time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for an opportunity to look at this man's life just to get the tip of the iceberg. He was a life that was changed. I thank you for what Elder Sherman said. You're not mad at us. You're mad about us. And it's your love, your love that appears to us and changes us and ought to appear through us. You didn't say the world will know that we're your disciples by how much Bible we know, how much Bible we quote, or what songs we sing, or what church we go to. You said people will know that we belong to you because of the love we show to other folks. Baptize this church afresh in the love of God to give ourselves away, to make it less about us, more about you, and even more about my neighbor. Thank you, Jesus, that you walk with us as we carry our cross. Lord, you walk with us as we're in the yoke with you. you making it a little bit lighter because you're doing the bulk of the pulling. Jesus, thank you for a new year, a new time, a new day, and new mercies and new opportunities. God, as Elder Aubrey has shared with me, we want to go forward, but we cannot go forward looking back because if we look back, we will stumble over things in front of us. These obstacles are really opportunities in disguise, but we cannot catapult from them if we're busy looking back to where we've come from. No, Lord, we're looking forward. We're seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. We're going forward. Our eyes are on Jesus, and we're excited about what you're doing and what you're going to do. Here am I, Lord. Use us. More of us, which means less of us. More of you, which means less of us. Fill us with your spirit now. And we thank you and we pray this prayer with expectancy now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that's working within us to you be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Does anybody have a hand praise for Jesus? Anybody got a hand praise for the Lord? Hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power unto the Lord our God. Hallelujah.
you hug about three people before you go. Just three people. You can go to five if you want. We won't get you, but hug somebody. <laughs>